Happy New Year, everybody. I hope that you guys had a fantastic, well-deserved break with some loved ones and are ready to get back at it in 2021. First off, I want to say thank you very much to everyone that has chose to listen to this podcast. I know that there's a lot on the go this month with virtual events and a lot of information coming your way, so thank you very, very much for tuning in. This week, I'm super excited to bring to you a really great conversation with Mervyn Herb. Mervyn is an independent crop consultant who is going into his 33rd year um, as the owner of his own business, AgriSolve. Merv is located in Huron County, and I've heard some really fantastic firsthand reviews from growers that work with him. And, you know, one of the reasons that I started this podcast was to have the ability to talk with some folks who are really passionate about their craft, their profession. And uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear this because Merv is just so passionate. It's uh, it's really infectious, and I think you guys are going to love this. Why don't you start by telling me, how many years have you spent in the ag industry now, or can you remember? <laughs> well, I have all this gray hair, so it means I can hardly remember, but <laughs> I, uh, in the ag industry, well, see, I was born and raised on a dairy farm. Okay. Okay, so I was an egg. I was an egg. Yeah. And, uh, and I was in 4-H, which I really enjoyed that, and then I went to ag school, sure and I enjoyed good. that, and then uh, my, my first job uh, I had a summer job uh, in Wallaceburg when I was in college at a fertilizer facility at an alfalfa dehyde facility. Oh, cool. That was a good learning experience, far from home, my first time far from home. Then uh, the next summer after that, my other summer job was working at this fertilizer plant over here, which is now a trailer manufacturing plant. Okay. And so I, I worked at that uh, all through the summer, spring and summer. Then I got a phone call. Uh, one day from a guy at the vet lab at Centralia telling me there's a job opening at the vet lab in Ridgetown. So then I had to go to Guelph for six months of education and laboratory procedures and ended up in Ridgetown. So I was all an egg. It was all kind of egg stuff. Then back in, then in 79, I ends up back here in Bruceville running that fertilizer plant. <laughs> so I, I've always kind of been an egg. And even when I wasn't, you know, in in this kind of egg, I was, you know, uh, with vet stuff and whatnot, so there was all kind of, all, it's always been egg. Yeah. But anyway, so I, uh, I started over here in 79 at this fertilizer plant, and then uh, then I went to Hensel Co-op after that in their fertilizer division over there, so then I came, then I started my own business in 88. Okay. okay, so but up until then you were operations, or did you do some sales agronomy when you were at Hensel? At Hensel, I was in charge of all the fertilizer and all the custom applications okay. Okay. down there, so yep. it was a different. So yep. it was, and that was a good experience because Hensel was a, a booming operation and a good place to work. And Earl Wagner was a great boss, and it was a good, good place. And so, and when I worked over here at the fertilizer plant, worked for Agrico, and you know they put a big emphasis on training, education, agronomy, and it wasn't. You know, they had sales, they had sales stuff, but it wasn't you know trying to twist somebody's arm to buy fertilizer. It was based upon agro agronomy, right? You know, and so it was all good education for me, and so uh, I learned a lot of stuff. Definitely. I know Earl Wagner always kidded me that he's going to send me a bill for all the free education I got working for him down there. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, but anyway, I started up in 88, and uh, well, we know, I'll tell you what happened. This is what really happened to me. In 81, I'm running this fertilizer plant over here, and it was in June, 
and I can't remember if it was John Haverkamp or Bob LeBeau, but somebody came in the office one day and says, get over from behind that desk and come with me. i got a problem. <laughs> and, uh, and so I got in his truck, and we went out there, and he had a problem with purple corn in the field. And, of course, uh, I went back to the office, and uh, in those days, there was no computers. Right. Like right now, you go back to the office, you can type in purple corn, or you can type in this, type in that, you get an answer in 30 seconds, okay? Yep. Well, those days, you had a page through stuff, fine stuff. You couldn't go online. And so, uh, so I, I got myself an education in purple corn. And so of course, purple <laughs> corn is not always phosphorus deficiency. It can be, you know, the whole root system and root not working and tight compaction, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, so all of a sudden, that guy coming in the office saying, get out from behind that desk and get out here, that all of a sudden clicked. Yeah. It was diagnostic. And that, that just all of a sudden. Then uh, John Moffat over here, he had a problem with his corn planter. Wanted me to come out. Corn still was happy. He had triples and doubles and skips and whatnot. Wasn't happy with his corn planter. And then all of a sudden I started to investigate corn planters and how they operate and seed sizes. And, and the more I dug into stuff, the more I educated myself. And that was a, a learning procedure. So you go from basically working behind the counter, taking fertilizer orders, getting blending put together, mm -hmm. and then you go to the field, but really know nothing about agronomy except for what you might have learned in school. So then how did you start educating? Did you just start reading a lot, or was it a lot of... Oh, this know? was a project. <laughs> this was a pro... And, and, uh, and, and so so I had this, this training, you know, working for co-op and, and agriculture. And then uh, at that time, I subscribed... To Wallace's Farmer magazine. Okay. Now, Wallace's Farmer was out of Iowa and one of the most well-read ag magazines in the country. Plus, I su subscribed to Successful Farming and a lot of U.S. publications. So I had constant agronomy stuff you're reading about. Okay. And man, I mean, I'm tearing out pages. I'm putting stuff in. I got file cabinets full of information. I got four of them. Okay. That's awesome. So you know, you you keep you accumulate stuff, and then what happened was in '81. There was a story in Wallace's Farmer Magazine about a guy named Dr. Jerry DeWitt from Iowa State University was going to start a crop consulting degree course okay. at Iowa State. My wife and I jumped in the car in August and we drove to see him. That's awesome. And uh, we sat down with him and uh, wanted what kind of courses does a crop consultant need? This, all of a sudden by now this thing started to cook. Okay, mm -hmm. What kind of courses does a crop consultant need? Well, he told me all the things that he was going to teach. So we spent the afternoon, well, part of the day, talking to him. So then uh, I says to him, and I got to talk to a crop consultant. He says, well, when you go down, back down to Des Moines, and you turn left, stop at this town and go and meet so-and-so. He's been a crop consultant for a long time. He calls the guy up. The guy answers the phone. It's in August, you know, not a lot going on. Come on over. My wife and I stopped in, and, and this guy, I spent, I don't know how many hours uh, with him sitting in his home, and he showed me how he bills, how he prices, uh, his bookwork, uh, paperwork, paper flow, how he handles stuff, you know, and I'm just sucking all this stuff up, and it, it was appealing to me, okay? And so I was, man, I got home and I was on fire. <laughs> and I was in 81. Then, this is where it really starts getting serious, 82... Uh, now, I, I had been going since 1980 every December to the Michigan 
seed and fertilizer school. Okay. It was like a three-day convention in Michigan State in Lansing, and it was all agronomy and crop production. Oh, awesome stuff. I mean, they got it before we get it in Ontario. So it was all new stuff and, and good crop production. Teachers, teachers were all props out of Iowa, Michigan State University. So you had the, the best uh, education. And so anyways, uh, so I was used to that. Anyways, so then in 82, Michigan State started the IPM course. Okay. Okay, and they had a teacher, a course leader, and it was held in Slack Week. So he got all the profs to come in and teach their subjects to us guys. Cool. And so it was geared to crop scouting and, and IPM. Well, so I went 81, 82, 83, 85, 93. I went for all those years, all those winters for a whole week, and it was the most superb education on crop scouting and IPM and and good agronomy, like sound stuff. You could you take them to the field and use it. Diagnostic work, you know, diagnostic, which, which is excellent stuff to, to learn. And so uh, all the days before computers. Yeah. So you had to store all the information, you had to tear it out, you had to file it, you had to be able to access it. And so that's how I, I learned a lot of stuff. But it didn't all happen at once. It happened, you know, it happened all those years, that period of time before everything kind of fell in place, eh? Yeah, yeah. But then, so then... Uh, I started out in 88. Wow. October 88. And was there anybody at the time that was doing anything similar in the area? Like, were there many crop oh, consultants? Oh, okay. I should back up area? a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So, I, well, I went to Alberta okay. in, in 87. Worked out there for a whole year. Came back. Had no job. And my house didn't sell, so I had no job. So anyways, uh, I was in Exeter one day. Ran into a gal who uh, had a company called Crop Cult. Okay. They were a crop consulting business out of Centralia, and they had started this up years before. It, it was uh, it was uh, Kenny Niagara kind of what was a okay. part of their operation. So I, I went to work for them uh, as a crop uh, consultant in 87, 88. Yeah, the winter, spring, summer of 88, I worked for them. And, and as I was working for them, I said to myself, I can do this. I, I, I don't need to work for somebody else. I can do it myself. And so the longer I sat there thinking, you know, I can do this myself. And so anyways, I got enough nerve up to print my own business cards. Nice. Then I got enough nerve up to uh, quit. So then <laughs> I did. And, and it was kind of a sad thing uh, because this gal I, who was in charge of it, she was a very nice woman and a nice person. And, uh, and she employed me. And, and I felt bad leaving, starting my own. But it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they're gone now, and I'm still here. Yeah, so obviously, so, it's okay. definitely a good decision. It's okay, yeah. But so, and that in itself was educational, you know, for me to learn that before I stepped out on my own. Yep. So anyways, so that's, all that, that's how that happened, okay? So then finally, I stepped out on my own in October of 88. And so you had business cards when you started. Yep. Did you have anything else? Did you oh, have any customers Oh, I had already? business, but yeah, I had business cards. I had... Uh, uh, Already established my pricing. Yep. I had a, a, a price sheet established. I had paperwork thought out already, and so I had thought. See, when I came back from the West in January of '87, January of '88, I didn't have a job for about two months. So in those two months when I had no job, I designed my future new kitchen. Nice. I started on crop consulting paperwork mm -hmm. stuff. I had this all back in my mind, so I had time to kind of get get things going. And so, uh, so it was kind of a procession. That's awesome. And then hit the roads running. 
hit the roads, run. Now I wasn't, no, I wasn't running a whole lot in my first year. I only had nine customers the first year. And I had a lab in the second year. And I think I had 14 the, the third year. And what that did, two things, uh, we would have starved had my wife not had a job. Uh, but what it did do, it allowed me to over-service my customers. And I spent more time than I got paid for, but I spent more time in their fields, and I, and I learned more. Right. Okay? And so, which wasn't a bad thing. It, 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 um, I wasn't overwhelmed beyond my competence, mm -hmm. and so didn't make any grave mistakes, thank heavens. And so uh, I've never had to use errors and emissions insurance so far. <laughs> Knock on wood. Just you watch. My last year in business, I'll have a claim or some cool thing. But anyways, uh, but anyways, that's how it kind of, that's how it kind of started. It started off pretty low key, pretty small. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. good for you. It's a big risk to start, but obviously something that you know you made the right decision and you were really compelled to do. So. Yeah, yeah, I really, yeah, I really, I was going to be a vet originally. I was going to be a vet. Didn't, started out with didn't have the grades, didn't have the grades, so I tuned down from the vet. Yeah, yeah, for so, sure. Anyways, that's all, all, that's all happened. So then fast forward to where we are today, basically. So now you're covering, you know, I'm sure you've got a lot more than that, 11 customers now, and you've got, you know, a bit of a team that you've built here. So what does the picture look like for you for today? What does the picture look like? Uh, the picture looks uh, like... Uh, no time off, no rest, no peace, no quiet. It's work, 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 like 70 hours a week. Uh, winters are as busy as summers. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, a business, either you're going forward or you're going backward. You know, it's not possible to stay in the center. Uh, our problem is there's only so many hours of daylight. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you can, you know, you can work for everybody you want, but you've got to be able to service it, and there's only so many hours of daylight. Yep. So, so that's your limiting factor. So you can duplicate yourself with people, and, and that's fine. But I've met too many crop consultants uh, in the States. Uh, there's a professional organization in the States, and, and you go to their conventions. And, and I've met too many people who went from one man to three, four, five, six hired people, then back to one person. Right. They ended up just managing people and not doing the work, or ended up with too many costs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyways... Uh, one thing I did learn, though, from that crop consultant we met in Iowa that day, he did really enforced upon me to know your costs and make sure you charge enough mm -hmm. to cover your costs. Otherwise, you'll starve to death. Mm -hmm. And so I was always cognizant of that. And so, uh, you know, I raised my rates every couple of years. And, uh, and, of course, as you add more costs to your business and more stuff and have to do more stuff and buy more stuff and pay for more stuff, you have to, you know, increase your price, otherwise you'll be dead. Absolutely. So anyway, so I, I'm glad I was told that at the start, that it was important to do that and keep track of costs. And um, one of the things that I did do, which was turned out to be a smart idea, is I handed over all the check writing, and I did it myself for the first bunch of years, but I handed it over to an accountant. Okay. Okay, and then the account, him and I made a deal, and uh, he had a, a he sent a girl from his office to come to my office once a week. Did all my postings, did all my stuff. Right. And so, so she always kept. You know, it made my tax preps uh, cheaper because she was always there every week doing the, doing the books. Everything and was up to date. Everything's up to date, and so and so I had financial pictures 
continually, and, and, and he was also a customer. He also farmed. He's been a longtime friend of mine, and so went to high school together. So anyway, so having him around for an accountant and uh, advice, and his secretary, or his one of his employees here as my secretary once a week, that really helped things out. You know, it kept me on the ball, and kept me on top of things, and kept the bills paid. And, and then and you can spend more time doing what you enjoy. That's what right. You're good at, that's right? right. I mean, there's no payment in, get, in bringing up paychecks and making your own deposits. I mean, holy cow, you know. There's things you just shouldn't do, you know. Or they, yeah. they, they're just over, it's, it's over, over taxes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, you know, if you haven't got time to make up the deposit slip and, and make deposits, if you haven't got enough time to make the bills out, there's no cash flow. That's right. Okay, so you got to, that's what this guy in the, in the States told me. You got to make sure you got cash flow and you get the bills out and they're timely. People don't want a bill once a year, you know. Not fair. Mm -hmm. So that was also a, a good learning process or a teaching thing for me to, to realize. Yeah, definitely. So if that's the, that's the side of things that maybe you don't enjoy as much, what's your favorite part? Do you love being out in the field, you know, diagnosing issues? Have you gotten much into on-farm research, or what do you find you enjoy most today? What do I enjoy actually most? Uh, I, I enjoy, you know, some guy who's really struggling, and after three years with him, he's really happy. That's yeah. that's fulfilling, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'm friends with all my customers. You know, they're all nice people, and uh, and that's a, that's an enjoyable thing. You know, to work with people you you like. Yeah. You know, and get along, and uh, they grasp new concepts, grasp new ideas, and and it's enjoyable to see somebody, uh, you know. Try all new things, or, or change the equipment, or change his role width, or try something new, or get onto something new, and that's enjoyable. It's fulfilling to see improvements. Improvements. For sure. You all try to improve, and that's that's enjoyable. Uh, on the research end of it, uh, you know, Greg and I farm 56 acres together. We kind of practice what we preach. Okay. Um, we've tried lots of tillage stuff out, and deep core sampling, and grid sampling. We've tried all kinds of precision stuff and whatnot on it and spend a lot of money. We're not sure where we've gotten with it yet, but we spent a lot of money on it. Anyways. Uh, more questions than you started with. Yeah, more questions than answers, really. But uh, anyways, um, but cert yeah, research. We have we have some trials on people's farms. Uh, I'm, I have some, a bunch of guys who are really into that kind of thing. And so I have probably six fellows that I work for that have, have the wherewithal and the yield monitor and whatnot and the planter set up that they can put in nitrogen plots, population plots, do a whole bunch of stuff quite simply and quickly because of their technology setup. Yeah. That's that makes that, that work. And so, uh, you know, I can ask a couple of guys to do something for me and I got a number of people that willingly will go and do it for me and, and help me out with that. Nice. And so we can get some, we can get fungicide trials, you know, on wheat, corn and beans, uh, nitrogen trials on corn, population trials on corn, a lot of stuff we can get done and uh, in a hurry and get some nice data out of it. So that, that's a help. Definitely. That's, that's a help to me. Definitely. So, uh, see the strange, the, the strange thing about this, about being an independent crop consultant, you're not, you're not getting, uh, you know, a vet lives off their prescriptions, off the right. pharma pharmaceuticals. Right. We ain't getting nothing. We got right. all we got to sell is our time. Yep. And so uh, you got to make sure you price the time right, otherwise you're 
on the street. Definitely. But then you still want to be trying to do a bit of R&D on your own so that you have the answers that people are looking yeah. for on the new products, right, or the new that's technologies. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's a really good point. So you mentioned there that, um, you know, sometimes you'd be helping growers with, say, proper planter setup or tweaking things. It sounds like you've taken a really well-rounded approach to helping them with their agronomy. It's not just seed fertilizer chemical, but helping them. Yeah, you know, if your if your if your fertility is not proper, your nitrogen efficiency is less. Your fungicide return is everything's less because your your fertility might be lacking. Okay, mm -hmm. so you got to keep everything together. You, the, the planting, the the cultivating, the working of the ground. Right now, you know, it's it's kind of difficult. A lot of people want to get away from plowing or chiseling, going to minimum tillage. Mm -hmm. Well, now that has its own problems with minimum tillage and compaction and traffic and everything else. And so you, you've got to kind of get everything coming together. You just can't emphasize on one on one side of it. You've got to bring everything together because uh, some of this lesser tillage stuff has been yield decreasing. You know, you've got to be careful with what you do with the tillage. And at the same time, you know, all of our equipment's getting bigger and it's getting heavier. And with more traffic, we got more compaction, we got more traffic compaction. And so as we get into less tillage, all of a sudden we create some other problems. So yeah, you got to kind of watch the whole ball because it's all kind of tied together. Yep. And uh, you don't want to get carried away on one end of it because you, know, you get burnt on the back end. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, they didn't teach us that in school. No, that's definitely something that you learn, learn with boots on the ground, right? There's a lot of blood on the cutting edge, <laughs> and I've been there, and I bled some. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta watch it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So I guess having that well-rounded approach, and um, you know, in the beginning, starting to over-service some of your customers, like you mentioned, what else have you found has helped you to differentiate from other folks in the area, or just help to differentiate you with your business? Well, see, I'm kind of fortunate because there's there is no other independent crop consultant around here. That's true. Okay, there's That's like true. Deb Campbell, she's up at Dundalk, and yeah. Cliff Metcalf and Paul Sullivan there in Winchester, Kempville, Eastern Ontario, and so and there's Al Al. Um, oh gosh, I can't think of Al's last name right now. Down at Aylmer, and there's a fellow down here at, at Watford, or Wyoming. So there's very few of us, mm -hmm. okay, that are, that are living solely on our crop consulting advice. Yeah. So uh, I don't have to do a lot of differentiation. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair anyways, enough. anyways, uh, anyways, uh, there's a couple of things. There's, there's a couple of things that I'm kind of I got kind of happy about, and, and this only happened because I had help. A fellow here just last week died. Okay. Over here, Ross Macbeth. And when I first set up my business in nine, well set up in 88, but in 1990, in 1991, I planted the biggest corn plots in Ontario. Okay. There were 19 acres in size, wow. there was 58 varieties and 24 checks. Wow. And it was on Ross's rented ground out the door here, and Ross helped me plant those plots two years in a row. No complaining, it slowed him down, it was a six-row planter, no cab in the tractor, and it took us all day. Wow. Or a day and a half almost to plant that freaking 19 acre corn plot. <laughs> but I had three different uh, maturities, 
groups, okay. three different groups of maturities, and we fertilized it properly, looked after it all, and ended up with this massive uh, data. And I learned a lot about corn. I learned a lot about corn varieties. I learned about, you, you know, there are certain varieties of corn that are all the same, and different kinds of corn, different types of corn, different leaf structures of corn and whatnot. I learned all about corn by doing this thing. And Ross helped me out in doing this. And I learned all about corn. So I took a real interest in varieties because I found out that uh, I work with nickels and dimes. Okay. Okay? When it comes to crop input. Now, I mean, fertilizer is not a nickel, but I mean, I work with nickels and dimes. The big money is made or the big uh, yield improved, the big Returns on money or returns on investment or, or the biggest impact to the bottom line is the right variety. I mean, you can take variety A and variety B, there'll be 20 bushels difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the cherries on the, on the top and there's the also rands. Okay, man, if I can just get my customer to plant the number one, two, three corn varieties, the number one wheat variety, the number one soybean variety, he'll make more money by doing that than anything else I'm going to tell him. All right? Mm -hmm. He's picking the cherries. And so I, I, I learned to do that by doing, all right? And Ross helped me out on the corn end of it. And so, so today, I have these lists I put out, and I take 270 varieties of corn and carrot, and I shrink it down to 69. Okay, I take 258 varieties of soybeans, I shrink it down to 70. Great. I take 34 varieties of alfalfa, and I shrink it down to 7. Wow. Everything else is junk. I shouldn't say it's junk. Um, the, the corn, You're picking the cherries. The corn breeder would kill me if I called it junk. It's not junk. It's just lesser than. Yep. Okay? Yep. But you take, you know, I get eight bushels more corn because I planted a better variety. Well, at five bucks a bushel, there's 40 bucks. I mean, what did I build a guy per year? You know, like 12 bucks an acre yeah. or 15. Well, uh, he made 40. Yeah. Picking out the right variety. It's so simple. Yeah. It's yeah. so easy. Yeah, for sure. But anyways, but I had to learn that. Okay, I had to learn that there was an impact from the from the, on the varietal side, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, so. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I mean that's a huge payback for the grower. Right? What well, is? Absolutely, well, it certainly is. Absolutely. I mean, and you and you sell you sell seed, what you do, and you, you know what it's like. I mean, every company's got a portfolio of stuff, but there's usually a few that are the best, and the rest of it's just a portfolio of stuff. Yep. Okay. Yep. So anyway, so you got a. I, I encourage my growers, I furnish them with the information, and I want them to use the information to pick out the best. I hate lesser. <laughs> I'm easily satisfied with the best. <laughs> That's a good way to be. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Good stuff. So those are maybe some of the highlights, I guess, you know what I mean? Some of the things that you've had a lot of fun with. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced or some mistakes that other people could learn from? Well, there's a lot of blood on the cutting edge. I know that for a fact. Um, I don't know. Everything's been such a learning process. I would hate to have missed it. Uh, well, that's that's a good way to be, for sure. That's a good attitude to have. Um, what are some of the biggest learning curves then? How's that? Well, here's, the one, here's my biggest problem. Okay. My biggest problem. My patient can't talk. <laughs> that's my most confounding problem. I wish my patient could talk. I walk out in the field and, and it doesn't talk to me. And I... <laughs> And then I got to kind of dig around with a trowel and dig and look and cut things open and take a magnifying glass. Oh, my God. If a patient could just talk, I'd have it made in the shade. That's my biggest frustration. <laughs> I don't think we're going to change that one. I know. That's not, I know. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of things coming with sensors and stuff, so you never know. You, you know what? I tell you what's kind of awesome right now. You can get an app right now and take your cell phone, hold it up to a weed, and get an answer in 20 seconds. Yeah. I can hold it up to a plant, and I might be able to. 
uh, get a diagnosis on a nutrient deficiency. Mm -hmm. That's working. There's an app right now. Now, it's not perfected yet, but you can walk along over top of a row of corner beans. I'll give you your population, give you your uh, plant variable spacing in, in inches or parts of an inch. Awesome. Beats the measuring wheel. <laughs> oh, tell you what, there's a lot of things here that are, that are happening with apps and our cell phone that's going to be a very powerful technology or time saving. Definitely. And that's just, that's tremendous. Yeah. You know, that's to me. You can make, because of that information, you, you can now make an improvement yep. quickly. Absolutely. And that's powerful technology. And that makes money. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Time for sure. And that didn't happen to me in my first 20 years of my career. This only happened in the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And like we were talking about earlier, just with um, some of the data platforms, having all that data in one place to see it and be able to make decisions so much more easily and much more quickly like that yeah. is so yeah. powerful too yeah. and what's come about yeah. in the Decision last making is, is really where it's at here is mm -hmm. making a good decision quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I know like, you know, now you're sitting in your truck and you can, you know, you can Google something in a sack and get a information back. You can go to an app. I got a pile of apps on my cell phone. And man, you can find stuff. You can find answers. You can find answers to questions that yeah. are in a hurry. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. All of a sudden here, I've got like six, seven cabinet drawers full of stuff I've torn out and filed and put under headings. And now some days I don't even use them. I go to the Google first. And you can probably find some of those <coughs> same articles. I know. <laughs> that's right. And I'm saying, what did I save this for? That's well, I know I know where it is. I know where it is. Yeah. Uh, but by yeah. God, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. the computer age is, is quite a thing. For sure. For sure. So the technology piece has obviously changed a lot over your career. Mm -hmm. What else have you seen change as you've been working with farmers, like in terms of their practices or how they do business or how they look at their business? Have there been any other things that you've picked up on that have changed a lot over the years? <clears throat> um, yeah, the whole thing has gotten more technical and more, you got to have more tech savvy mm -hmm. these days than you had to have. Mm -hmm. um, it's gotten a little deeper. May I got to tell you what, I mean, uh, The money exposure, the cost exposure is a whole lot worse than it ever was. I mean, there's a lot of money in the line these days. I mean, you go buy a tractor, it's 300000 You go buy a company, it's 800000 plus a head, it's a million bucks. Yeah. Um, you know, now, I'm, I said this to a fellow here a while ago. There's more money in the line, it's, it's more at stake. He says, baloney. He says, what do you mean, baloney? He says, I bought my, I bought, not my first farm, I, I got my dad's farm, but I bought my first farm in 1970. I paid 20000 I bought my next farm in 72, and it was 40,000. He said at that time, a combine with a head was 40,000. The farm was 40,000. He said, combines today are cheap compared mm. to the price of land. He's, he's, he is correct. And then he bought another farm in 74, then he bought another farm in 85. By, 80, by 75, the farms were 85,000 bucks, okay? And so was the combine. So he says, combines today in that regard are a bargain. Well, he's true, it's, it's true. And land, you know, at that time went up as much as it has gone up now. So is there any more money on the line? No, it's just smaller amounts of money then and it's larger amounts of money now. Right. Uh, so are people, you know, better off or worse off? Well, they're almost better off today. Um, but there's more on the line. There's more tech 
stuff you have to deal with. There's more technology. In, in the, I mean, equipment has kind of gone nuts in price. But when you think about it, all the stuff your planter will do, I mean, you can have, you know, the, um, the downforce thing, and you can plant through sand, and it'll lift it up and go to clay, and it'll put it down all on the run, all on the go. You can get a you can get a seed firmer that measures soil moisture. You can get a seed firmer that measures soil temperature. You can do all this stuff and make decisions on the go. Holy smokes, like what technology? Yeah. It'll make, and it can make you money. It can save you from making mistakes. You can do all kinds of stuff. That's, that's kind of neat to see all that. Definitely. And that's, sure. and that's just the start of stuff. And it's happening so fast. It now is. Too. Yeah. So as a farmer, you've got, I mean, you know, guys who are my age, who are in their 70s, are thinking, holy cow, this is over my head. And, uh, but, you know, there's help. There's help. There's help for this. There's dealerships have help for this stuff. And so people feel overwhelmed at times, guys do. But, um, you know, there's help. And as long as you're committed to learning, it seems like you're very committed to learning, right? So, I mean, as long as you keep up with it, right, then you're always up to date. So... When I graduated, I said, I'm not ever going to be back in school again. Hallelujah. <laughs> All I've done is I've been out of school is go to school. Yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes. That's funny. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Got to keep learning, though. That's good. <laughs> uh, it, keeps you, it keeps you alive. For sure. Keeps your brain working. For sure. Definitely. So one of the things I know that you're very strong on and is quite popular around here is edible beans. And so we have people that listen from different parts of the province where they're maybe not as popular, but I thought that would be maybe a cool topic for you to share a bit of your expertise on. Just give us a bit of an overview of what you found to make a successful crop of edibles and then in some situations where you've seen some of the biggest problems arise growing edible beans. The biggest problem with edible beans is you grow them the second time. Okay? A new grower will grow them once, the first time in his life, get 3,000 pounds per acre, mm -hmm. and then grow them again and then get 1,500 pounds per acre. Mm -hmm. Now all the money's gone. That's the mistake. You grew them twice. You never grow them twice. You grow them once and you keep the money in your pocket and you're done with it and get over it. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of serious. Um, uh, edible beans, uh, yeah, they're a heartbreak. They're a heartbreak crop. The unfortunate part about edible beans is is this. I mean, um, nobody wants to pay you any more than they have to. Okay, that's a problem. I mean, secondly, is uh, the the only edible beans have a set margin over soybeans. And if they paid any more for them, we grow too many of them. We already grow too many. You know, we got a problem with what was edible beans. It's a shrinking consumptive market. Bad news. Okay? And I'll tell you what's going to happen here. You talk to anybody who's over 40 years of age or who's under 40, when their dad is gone, they ain't going to grow. They're done with it. This is worse than the colored bean industry. In the colored bean, you got to have a puller and a windrower, you got to have a bean combine. I'll tell you what, those guys who are 35, when dad's dead, they're selling the equipment. It's <laughs> over. They, they aren't going to grow those damn things because they're problematic. Mm -hmm. They're not paid enough for it. And it's a shrinking consumptive market. So I, I see some big problems coming up in the edible bean industry with uh, 
you know, and they can grow them cheap in Manitoba, Saskatchewan. They can grow them cheap in North Dakota, and those are always big acreage countries out there, and we got less acres here. But the acres, we cannot have 75,000 acres of white beans. You'll end up with 28 cents. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. So anyways, uh, but certainly beans, you know, you got to have good soil tilth. you got to have good fertility. There's nothing worse than a poor soil test on edible beans. They don't yield worth a hoot. They look crappy. They don't grow right all year. Uh, I see too much of that. Um, you know, the guy who has livestock will always have better edible beans. It's just the name of the game. He's got better fertility and a better soil. And, and um, I mean, manure is manure. It's, it, it beats fertilizer every day on edible beans. And, Anyways, uh, and certainly, you know, I mean, root rot is something that's always nibbling at your beans. You got to watch out for that, and uh, you got to watch. Uh, mold is a killer. You got to spend big bucks on mold spray. You got to get them in right. But it's no different than any other crop. I mean, when you leave the field with the planter, it is over. It's over. All you do after that is protect the yield. You can't fix anything. It's over. So you, you're working. You're set up. You're, you got to start well to finish right or you got to start right to finish well mm -hmm. okay and it's and that's in every crop not just but beans are really important and so you, you you can't beat them up with too much herbicide but you got to get enough on to get the job done because our post-emergent products aren't that great so you got to be strong up front without being overly strong okay. that's a fine line and uh, and what i'm finding is you know post-emergently reflex does not work like it used to Blazer does not work like it used to. And so we've got problems post-emergently with cleaning up for ragweed and pigweed. And, uh, and so we got not enough chemistry. We're, we've lost some chemistry on beans. Uh, and that's our problem. We don't have good chemistry like soybeans. And so, uh, um, and second, here's another problem. Here's the biggest problem. When you only grow 50,000 acres of white beans a year, or, you know, plus your kidneys and whatnot, but when the acreage is, you got to have a smaller acreage to have a good price. You can't hardly afford to have a bean breeding program. I mean, who's, who's going to want to, you know, Guelph has invented here the last bunch of years some really good edible bean varieties. Always he's come up with some good stuff. Well, if you're going to pay 100000 bucks to buy that variety and then resell it, propagate and resell it on a shrinking market, yeah, that's not going to work out too well. Bit of a vicious cycle. You there. got that right. So I have some fears here with our, you know, this part of Ontario was known for edible beans. My dad's farm had edible beans on it in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. We cooked them for, for steers to eat before we had soybean meal. But anyways, uh, this whole thing is, is you know, looking a little dubious to me because of what's going on. Right. All right. Right. And a lot of it's out of the grower's control. So the, so the thing about beans, I guess, if you, yeah, you got to have high fertility on beans, period. N is your friend on beans, like it is on corn. But you got to have enough N on, you got to have enough sulfur on. You can't have a lousy soil test. It doesn't work. It don't grow worth a hoot. You got to have good topsoil. You can't have scalped, you know, scalp ground and scalp knolls and too much clay. You can't grow them in heavy clay fields. I mean, uh, yeah. Bit don't, of a crop don't, where don't. everything needs to go perfectly for them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But man, oh man, the problem is when everything works all well and they go four thousand pounds, you're hooked for life. That's right. And that's then you're happened this year. Yeah, I know. Then you're then you're stuck with them. Yeah. Then you <laughs> then you'll grow them all again and you'll never have four thousand pounds ever again. <laughs> so 
So what is your favorite crop to grow then? If you had to pick one. Well, uh, I uh, I like them all. I like them all. I like them all. I'm a... Uh, um, now, corn's a sexy crop. I mean, it's, man, you know, big crop and big, you know, big structure and, and it grows fast and I, I like corn. And, but I like wheat. Oh, man, I, I like growing wheat. I like growing good wheat. I enjoy growing good wheat. I, I enjoy seeing good wheat. I enjoy a customer who grows good wheat. I enjoy seeing wheat. Mm-hmm. I like wheat. You know, it's a sexy crop. But I'll tell you what, this year I had a, f- a couple fields of White beans up at Wingham, man, they ran 4,000 pounds. Oh, every time I went up there and walked through them, it was just a tangled mess and full of bees, and it was awesome. It's just fun. It's mm-hmm. just fun to see everything flourish. Mm-hmm. So what's my favorite crop? I, I can't say I've got, I'd like them all. I'd like them all when they're good. I hate them all when they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> God, I do. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I, uh... <laughs> I mean, I mean, in their own, in their own right, their own right. I mean, probably soys are the least sexy crop. I mean, to me, it's like wheat and it's corn and it's, it's edible beans when they're good. Um, Crops that respond to management. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm the guy. I mean, I'm the kind of a guy that'll spend a buck to get a buck. Yep. I don't want to spend the buck to get 95 cents, but I'll spend the last buck to get the last buck. I, I want to, I like, you know, and, and uh, you know, you want to have your yield average up as good as you can because if you ever collect on it, you want to have a good average. That's right. From a nutrient management standpoint, you also want to have a, a really good yield average to suck up all the manure. Right. Uh, that's, that's important, too. That's true, too. Yep. So... And it's, it's more fun to work on high-yielding crops. It, yeah. it just is more fun. It's, more, it's more satisfying. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, now one thing, I, in 19, twice, 1983 and 85, I went and visited uh, Herman Warsaw okay. in Saybrook, Illinois. At that time, he was the world's reigning corn championship. Oh, that would be cool. 373 bushels he had in 85, 335 and 83. So that was farmed twice, and so uh, I was there one time. It was August, and it was the end of August, and I went out into his cornfield, and he's you know pulling back some husks and showing me his corn variety. It was heading for the big yield and whatnot, and he's as he's tearing open. I got a picture of it in my office. He's tearing open husks, and he says, "If I could just control corn bore and these." Leaf rust, I'd have it made. Guess what we got now? We've got BT corn to control corn borer. We've got fungicides to control leaf diseases. Yeah. And, and his biggest problem was anthracnose stock rot. Okay. I said rust. I was wrong. Anthracnose stock rot and corn borer. Right. <clears throat> and, I was, and I look at my picture today in my office wall. Yeah, you can see anthracnose on his corn stalks. And you can, you know, there's some corn borer. <clears throat> so anyways, uh, so that's what he needed. And now look at all the arsenal we have. Yeah, he said he said to me that day in the field, he said, I could get 400 bushels if I could fix this. Mm-hmm. Today, we've got the fix. Yeah, yeah. We never had it so good. We got an arsenal of fungicides. We've got an arsenal of, of BT technology to protect us from everything under the sun. Yeah. Man, it's just it's just great. We've got yeah. extend beans. We've got enlist beans. We've got, like, everything. Yeah. So, 
we never farmed in better times. We're very fortunate that way. That's sure. right. Yeah, there's been a lot of great research and a lot of great technology put into oh, cropping. That's what makes it fun, mm-hmm. you know. Because I mean, Herman had Herman was he had fun growing these huge yields. When I drove in the lane, I had to get over on the grass because a big tour bus was coming out. When I got up to the house to talk to him, it was a tour bus full of Egyptians. Okay. Okay. So I mean, this this guy was where it was at mm-hmm. in those days. He was the king. Yep. And so he said, you know, it, it was fun for him to grow this, but it would have been more fun yet if he didn't have the corn borer and the disease. Definitely, definitely. And today we just have less risk of an overall crop disaster from something like that. Yeah. Right? Which is, gives you a bit of a sense of security, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. We got definitely from a you know, crop insurance standpoint, we've got more protection mm-hmm. on, um, and secondly is too, you know, if you go back to the 1970s, we've got uh, about 10 more growing days. We've got more frost-free days than we had. So from a crop standpoint here, we've got a more friendly environment for production, mm-hmm. and which has been great for us here in Ontario. I mean, you know, they can grow soybeans in Melford, Saskatchewan. They can grow soybeans yeah. up in New Liskert, okay? Yeah. So certainly this extra 10 days of, of growing season we've gotten here has been very good. Yeah. It's really helped us out. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be okay if it keeps going that direction. Oh, I don't want to change this. Get your hands, leave your hands off this thing. Who wants to mess with the climate and bugger yeah. it up? No, it's fine. Leave it alone. I agree. No kidding. Oh. Well, I guess um, to make one final point, if there was any suggestion that you had for farmers across the province on how they could most improve their operations or maybe the most common mistakes that you've seen, what would you tell them? What would be, you know, one thing that you would tell them to help them improve their operation? Only plant the good stuff. Number one, that's the biggest money maker you'll ever make is only plant the good stuff. Don't plant the second best. Holy cow. Um, <clears throat> Throwing on lots of nitrogen does not make up for a poor phosphorus or a poor potash soil test. That doesn't work. That's self-defeating. It spends money for no reason. I mean, no, you can't, you can't go around throwing on N and thinking you're going to fix something else. That doesn't right. work. Right. Um, <clears throat> there's lots of people out there who are, you know, get caught up with some new technology. Like, they'll pay money for grid sampling and getting colored maps and yet the local supplier can't variable rate apply. Mm-hmm. What do you do that for? Mm-hmm. Well, the salesman sold me on it. I thought it was a good idea. Yep. Well, come on. And there's, there's some waste out there, you know, or they'll buy a, a, a plant or, you know, they, they want to try stuff, but then, you know, they didn't realize they got to enter all the fields first. They got to name every field. They got to name every... You name the farm, name the field. They got to set up names for equipment so that the stuff goes in right. You got to be able to punch it in and enter it on a keyboard. And if your fingers are all big and fat, it's hard to do sometimes. And I never done it before, so you know. So what happens is a lot of fellows have spent money on stuff and and they haven't used it. Right. And a lot of data is dying on SD cards. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. And it's because uh, I didn't get around to it or I forgot to do it. I don't know how. Right. And so, uh, and people like to say they, they bought this option, but then they don't tell us they can't use it. So anyway, so, uh, and people have a fear, and I have a fear too of being left behind in technology, but not being conversant in it. So 
um, all I would say to farmers is, you know, if you want to spend that kind of money, make dang sure you use it and, um, and get it set up properly. And if you can't set it up, get somebody to help you set it up. Because it's got to work when you get, see the problem is you get into, this is a problem with, with taking yields up. The yield monitor has made it so much easier to take plots off. Boy, I tell you what, you may be keen to put plots in in the spring. When it comes fall to get a way wagon out and then dump it, <laughs> I'm too damn busy. No, I can't do that. I, it's done in the dark or something. We combine it at night. We forgot. I've heard that. <laughs> ah, so you have. It's, it's a common problem. So anyways, uh, um. You know, if you're going to buy the option, make sure you get know how to use and get some money out of it, get some worth out of it, because uh, there is powerful information that'll make you money if you can use it. Yeah. So yeah, don't get it over your head, but don't be buying stuff you're not going to use. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are awesome points. So take a look at corn hybrids. Make sure you're growing the best. Corn, soybeans, wheat, alfalfa. Everything. I don't care what it is. Make yeah, sure bet. you're growing the best. Yes. Yep. Make sure your P and K levels are in check before you start going overboard on nitrogen. Yeah, that's right, and and uh, I argue sometimes that what is the proper soil test value? That's a that's a source of argument. It can never be too high. Better higher than lower. That's right. And is your friend. <laughs> and then. And management's important. And management's important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then make sure if you're going to buy the technology, you know how to use it. Yeah. You've got a good. Good person you can call that knows how to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. That's right. Not in simple things, but I mean, we forget about them. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up in that new fungicide or everyone's first oh, yeah. fungicide on tassel corn, but yeah. if your fertility is not in check first, then maybe that's the first place to well, spend sure. money, right? Absolutely. So, I, have, yeah. I see that one all the time. You know, sometimes some old things never go out of fashion. They just don't. They just don't. Mm -hmm. So uh, we get carried away sometimes on new stuff when we haven't got the old stuff right. Yeah, get the fundamentals down you bet. first. Abs absolutely. Great points. But Thank until you. my patient can talk, <laughs> I'm going to be floundering away out here. Well, if I see any new data <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> with sensors that are going to tell you what it's thinking, I will let you know. <laughs> that's right. I'd be, I'd be happy to hear about it. Oh, that's good. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. This has been great. Oh, it's been fun. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. For more episodes, please subscribe. You can find updates to new episodes on my Twitter at prosperityag0l. 